What's going on everyone? Script writer Steve right here. It is currently March 8, 2021. That's Monday, by the way. You reach my podcast, Barbecue to Movies. You know, usually I talk about barbecue politics, movies, and everything like that. I save Saturdays for movie talk. I haven't done movie or storytelling talk for a while. And, uh, you know, even though today is Monday, I'm going to pretend it's actually Saturday. So today we're not going to talk anything about barbecue or politics or anything like that. Um, you know, usually my podcast, by the way, it's mostly politics uh, because that's what's usually on my mind. Uh, but again, barbecue to movies, that means I talk about anything, anything that interests me, right? But um, on Saturday, again, it's usually, I call it Screenwriting Saturdays, where I um, tell you my opinion on movies or even instruct you on how to tell stories and everything like that. But that's all done on a Saturday. And uh, I just missed it. I completely missed it this week, and I really wanted to do something. So uh, here I go, completely on Monday doing it. So I'm going to turn this down right now. Yeah, like on Saturday, I was out having fun with my friends, uh, you know, Pitmaster Keith and one of my other friends. Um, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, he's a really good filmmaker out there, out here in Hawaii. Worked on Lost, Hawaii Five O, I think all these other productions right there. Uh, really good cameraman and... Um, I guess he, he he's one of those people who can um, weld anything and create anything uh, just off the top of his mind. And he creates everything from weapons to, to cranes to props. And uh, it's just really, really amazing. When you go to his place uh, at, at his house, you see nothing but props all around, which is <laughs> it's like a it's like a male's paradise because you know guys just love to create and see weapons of all types. And it's just great. So uh, but anyway. Yeah, I had a lot of fun on Saturday. I didn't have the time to do any podcast because by the time I got back home, it was late. I, wa- I wanted to watch some movies and then I just fell asleep. But today, I wanted to talk about how to create believable fiction, right? That's believable fiction. And that's kind of like the, the basis of all storytelling because even if you're creating nonfiction, which is technically fiction, and we'll get into that later on, um, you want to make it believable, so you want your opinion, that means basically you want your opinion to be respected when you create quote-unquote believable fiction, right? Because that's what you are as a storyteller. You are sharing your opinion or your perspective with someone. But before I get into that, I want to talk about uh, coming to America too. Now, uh, just to let you know, there, there will be no spoilers, and this will be a very, very quick review. And uh, you know, you may disagree with my review if you already saw the movie, uh, but... I'm just going to shoot it off from the side of my hip and uh, see what you guys think about it. Now, Coming to America 2 was released on Amazon Prime, and you can wa- you can watch it for free if you are a Prime member, which I think the majority of us are. Um, I think it's really really weird to find someone who's not an Amazon Prime member. Uh, by the way, here, here in Hawaii, when we order things on Amazon Prime, it can take us three days to maybe a week to get it. I, it's not like when we live, like you folks, I know you guys live in the mainland and you guys order Amazon Prime and it gets to you like within a, like this, like that. It is like at your doorstep, right? But it's not like that here in Hawaii. I mean, sometimes I'm not even sure how things get to Hawaii because I think we order something and it's leaving from the West Coast and then suddenly it goes to Chicago. And then it comes all the way to Hawaii. I mean, I thought the distance between two, I guess, two, two points is a straight line. But apparently, according to Amazon, uh, I guess if you live across, 
I guess in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, the, the the closest you know point to point, I mean distance to point B is by going flying east and then west. So I have no idea why they do that. I it, it just boggles me sometimes. So if you order something as simple as maybe uh you know a, a, a little table a table a table set, uh, it'll go over to Chicago and then go to Texas. And this is leaving from California. I go California, Chicago, Texas, then back to California, then then over to Hawaii. And maybe may even stop by Alaska or or somewhere else. Maybe even go to Mexico. I don't know. So, but it, it takes a while sometimes to get things there, and it just drives a lot of locals just nuts. So, um, coming to America too, uh, I have to say now. First of all, I saw Coming to America one right before I saw Coming to America two. I marathoned it. And um, one after another. And uh, I have to say, Coming to America 1 was much better than Coming to America 2. I'll just say that right off, the, right, right, right off the bat. But I think it's really good to watch Coming to America 1 first and then Coming to America 2. Now, Coming to America 2, uh, just to sum it up, you know, we find our main character, it's Eddie Murphy's character, right? Uh, he has a kid back over in Queens and he goes back and he may be the apparent heir to, I guess, his entire kingdom, and Eddie Murphy goes back to coming, uh, to, to Queens to go find him. And, and that's, and the whole plot, I guess, unravels from there. Or, yeah, so was it good? Uh, I thought it was propelled a lot by too many gimmicks, a lot, too many dance routines. It was funny, it was enjoyable. The story was, there wasn't, there wasn't much story in there, and it wasn't, I didn't think they had they they could they had to write it the way it was. I think it was a little too gimmicky. It was fun. I laughed. I had fun with it. I was disappointed because the story wasn't as rich as the first. There were too many jokes. Uh, the characters were not as likable in here. I mean, he has three daughters. None of them are really likable. His son, not very likable character. Uh, and I thought there was just. I guess too many, it felt as though I was watching sketch comedies, uh, I guess sketches put all side by side together, you know, to make a movie. And uh, from one sketch comedy to the next, to I mean, woven together, uh, not really a nice in-depth story as I would like. And uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not very picky. I, I know all of you say, are saying, well, Steve, you know, you're a, you're, you're a screenwriter and you're a professional storyteller and that's... That's that's the reason why you're picky, and I'm really not that picky. I really am not. I just want you know a really rich story, and you know, you know, a, a couple hours is a really long time to tell a lot of story. And just to let you know, I mean, I even have issues with the Mandalorian not being rich in story, even though I love the Mandalorian because it doesn't murder, I uh, I guess the canon of of uh, of Star Wars. You know, the, the reason why I love The Mandalorian is because it's not, it's not bad. It's average, and I'll accept average. You know, so I'm not that picky. But anyway, um, real quick review again. I would probably give Coming to America 2 a C. Uh, Entertaining-wise, it was maybe an A. Uh, but again, I guess it just didn't hit home like, like Coming to America 1. And Coming to America 1, by the way, it was a little gimmicky. Uh, you know, a lot, some dance routines were a little bit too long, you know, and, and, uh, felt just, you know, there, there could have been a lot more story punched into it. But it had a lot, a lot of heart into it, which I think Coming to America 2 didn't have. And I think that's what, uh, Coming to America 1 had was, you know, 
heart. It had a lot of heart in it and a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, Eddie Murphy's character, Arsenio Hall's character. You know, there was a lot to like with, with them. And, uh, but that's about it. So I, I do, I do actually say you should watch it because number one, it's free. And number two, it's not really that bad. So, but for me, it could have been more. And that's my quick review. I may review it later on on my uh, website, scriptwritersteve.com, but I'm not sure if it rises to that level. And uh, yeah, and that's about my review for now. So I gave it a C for overall, maybe A- minus for entertainment. So you can make what it is, what it, whatever you want to make for my review. Okay, so I'm going to cut to commercial, and I'll be right back with my, um, I guess, my narrative here for today's podcast, which is going to be how to create believable fiction. If you are a, prof- or a professional storyteller, well, you probably don't need to listen to me, but if, if you are an aspiring storyteller, yeah, maybe you want to listen, and I guess you want to give me a shot right after we get back from this commercial. What is going on, everyone? This is your favorite complainer-in-chief, scriptwriter Steve, with a shameless plug for Dream Weddings Hawaii, a company that I just happen to own. Now, we specialize in romantic, intimate beach weddings, but plan weddings of all sizes and shapes. Gala weddings, eloping, surprise vow renewal, no problemo. So, if you are looking to tie the knot here in Hawaii, you better get in touch with me. Now, Dream Weddings Hawaii delivers quality that is extremely affordable, but don't just take my word for it. Visit our website at dreamweddingshawaii.com and find out for yourself. That's dreamweddings with an S, that's weddings with an S, hawaii.com. So look at our awesome photos, check out our awesome, beautiful, touching ceremony videos, then take a look at our cheap prices, which I promise you won't faint at. Now, don't forget to read our five-star reviews. Now, by the way, we also take professional family photos. So visit our site at dreamweddingshawaii.com or just buzz me at 808-479-0685. That's 808-479-0685. All right. Are you back from that commercial break? Hope you listened to my personal ad for Dream Wedding Hawaii. You know, it's a shameless plug for my own company there. Gotta advertise it. And by the way, it's pretty cool. You know, I want to thank you for um, all my listeners who've actually booked business with me. Thank you, thank you very much. I don't make a lot of money from my podcast, you know, from advertising, but I do make some pretty good bank from people booking my services on my wedding company. So this is working out pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's really strange with these podcasts is that uh, I'm out here sharing my opinion and sharing my life with everyone out there. And then I talk to people who listen to my podcast and uh, it, it could be my friends, my relatives, my clients, and they already know everything about me. <laughs> they said, oh yeah, Steve, I already heard about that. I listen to your podcast all the time. You're like, oh my God, I didn't even tell my story yet, but they already heard my story. So I have to like, it was like, well, you heard my story, but I didn't even talk to you and I forget, oh my God, you listened to my podcast. That's how you know it, right? (laughs) It's something I have to get used to. It's really something I have to get used to. All right, I'm going to turn this down. Nice music, but I got to turn it down. All right. All right. I'm going to turn this down. Turning it down. (laughs) Okay, everyone. So... 
Now, the topic for today on Screenwriting Saturdays, which happens to be on a Monday, is uh, how to create believable fiction. And uh, I'm going to start this off by reading one of my favorite quotes, uh, which I would always tell people when I taught screenwriting or when I still teach storytelling, is that, and this is from uh, Tony Montana from Scarface, and he says, uh, I always tell the truth even when I lie. And uh, this is the mantra of every fictional storyteller out there, unfortunately, including most journalists, is that when you tell a story, a fake story, a fictional one, you always tell the truth. You may not tell the whole truth. You may tell a version of the truth, but you're, and you're still lying. But your audience believes it because, again, there are sprinkles of the truth in there. And that's what the essence of creating believable, believable fiction is kind of all about. So all you have to re- kind of remember is that quote from Tony from Scarface. I always tell the truth even when I lie. So for all of you people out there who are just aspiring storytellers, you know, novelists out there, don't think you have to make everything up. You just have to nudge the truth a little. Just nudge it. Just nudge it. Twist it a little. You know, give a little, give it a little twist, and then your audience could buy the whole thing. Now, if you want to lie to someone, again, tell, tell, twist it a little, twist it a little, a little, right? I'm not encouraging you folks to lie, but it's the same darn technique out there. So, uh, now my podcast right here on Screenwriting Saturdays. Now, I know I'm kind of bloviating, but I just want to make this very clear to you. Um, this is directed to all you want to be storytellers out there. And that's also me. Now, myself, now I always tell myself, I always tell you out there, I'm, I'm a professional storyteller. Now, storytelling is, um, you know, storytelling is an art, okay? That is the art you learn. The medium on how you tell that story, well, that's up to you, all right? So right now, I started off, again, my medium was screenwriting, right? So that was film. That was actually a visual medium. And also it was through a, you know, a, a computer, you know, writing an actual script. That was the way I told a story before. Now that has transferred into, into the wedding business, you know, as of the last 20 years of my life. And, uh, how do I tell a story? Well, I tell love stories. That's what I do. And uh, everything, by the way, it has a bias toward love. So even if it's storming that day, we are going to try to make it look as sunny as possible, right? For the photographs, even though that bride or groom, they're in a very awkward pose that just makes them look very, but it makes them look very elegant and romantic, but it feels very awkward. Well, Again, that's all fictional stuff, right? That's our bias right there. We're telling a little lie. But most of that, most of that picture is all true, but a part of it is a lie because there's storm clouds right behind of them, right? There's, you know, the beaches, they look really empty. It looks romantic, but the people are photographed, are, are photoshopped out of there. You know, the footprints, you know, the beach looks secluded. No, we, we photoshopped the, 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 the beach to look secluded. So is it a romantic? Is it just them on top of the beach with this romantic sunset? A lot of times, no. A lot of times, no. But even when we lie, we always tell the truth, right? Okay. And why do I tell, tell you that I'm still a wannabe storyteller? Well, it's because that when you, if you ever do, I guess, decide to partake into the professional life of a, of a storyteller, you live gig to gig, 
Okay, so that means if you want to become a screenwriter, a professional screenwriter, you are going to be working from television show to television show. It's only a matter of time till that television television show ends or you get fired. Um, if, you, if you want to be a movie screenwriter, right, there's only a, a certain, you know, matter of time until that until that movie ends, right? So you may be working on the set, writing the movie as it's being filmed. That's what they do all the time these days. Or, you know, you may be working in pre-production, like how they, how they did in the back in the 80s or the 90s, where, you know, they actually, producers produced the script before they actually went into production, right? <laughs> they don't do that. They don't do it that much, by the way, now. That's why the movies suck. Um, but, um, yeah, so you would enter into these step deals. And by the time you're finished with these step deals, well, you're back to, like, you know, talking to your agent, agent and saying, well, oh, I, I still want to be a storyteller. Are there any jobs out there? And you want to be storytelling again. So you're, you're basically back to, doesn't matter what your skill level is, you're basically back to like square one. You're like, oh, you know, you're without a job. I, you know, hope you save some money there, right? So now here's another funny thing. Now I'll, I'll get to our topic. You know, don't, don't worry about, about it, but I'll get to it. But here's just, here's just, here's just something that kind of, kind of like pierces my brain every now and then. But uh, I always ask myself, why do so many of us, uh, so many people I know from all different walks of life, uh, why do they want to become novelists, screenwriters, storytellers, what, you know, and so forth, right? I mean, I've been to, I've been part of so many writers groups. I, I mean, I don't, I have no idea how many. I can't list it because I've just been so many part of so many many of them. I can't tell you how many different names they all had. But there's so many people who wanted to become storytellers, right? Um, doctors, lawyers, judges, scientists out there of all types. And what it dawned upon me is that it's really not a stretch for them to, to be anyone to become a professional storyteller. So if you're out there and you want to you know, try this as a profession, a part-time gig or anything like that, it, you know, don't think it's, it's too much of a stretch because all of us are storytellers at heart. And you, you know, when you come home and you want to complain to your wife or your husband you don't bullet point, you know, things that happened to you that day or bullet point the problems and just, you know, just, you know, you know, speak it out of your mouth like a robot, right? Or, or like a computer program or like your GPS, right? They're just barking out directions. You're out there, you know, telling it with emotion. You're, some of you are being entertaining. Some of you take too long to get to the point. We are all natural storytellers. That's the way we communicate. So, you know, to make the bridge between being an amateur storyteller, you know, like a person who just complains to their significant other, to, you know, to a professional one, it's really not that big of a bridge. Now, the professional one just knows how to meet deadlines. They know how to be a little bit more entertaining and know how to hold an audience. Um, they know a little bit more about characters and everything like that. But the stretch isn't as far as you may think it is, okay? So if you really want to go down that road to be a professional storyteller, I would say try. Or even if you wanted to be a part-time professional storyteller, right? Um, yeah, just try it. Just really, really just just try it. And, and you'll be surprised. Um, even if you don't reach the professional level, I'm saying doing it full-time, um, learning storytelling would just really, really help. I mean, what I'm doing right now, my my ability to tell a story, uh, you know, on paper or through photographs, that's kind of how I'm, how I'm creating this podcast. I'm telling a story, right? And of course, sometimes I get a little, you know, kind of carried away with it. But then uh, that's, that's what, you know, I guess that's what it is, right? That, that's really what it is. So uh, now, 
let's get into this. Here, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to get in. I have some notes here on the side of me. And uh, now I want to get it first before I really get into the heart of this. I want to uh, quote Penn Jillette. Not really quote him, but he said something very interesting. He said he doesn't really believe there's anything as nonfiction, right? Because um, he believes that the second the pen hits the paper, uh, all truth goes out the door. And that's because the author introduces his subjective opinion. And uh, that opinion can be sometimes, you know, be agenda driven, sometimes driven by fear or loyalties or a combination of both. He's 100% correct. And I think that's the struggle with, um, you know, so many writers these days. Now, when I write fiction, like full on fiction, uh, like sci- sci-fi or anything like that, I really just let my, my brain go. But even then, I have to pull myself back and make sure I stay canon to the lore that I'm writing about, right? So, for example, if I'm writing about vampires, I'm not going to make them, you know, be, be uh, I guess, uh, uh, I guess uh, I, um, uh, immune to the light, immune to garlic. You know, I still have the lore to follow, right? And if I do make them immune to anything... I really have to make a really good excuse up, right? And so, so it's one of those things where you, you know, you have to, you have to understand, you know, what you're writing about and where you can, where you can, I guess, fictionalize things and have more freedom to do it, right? And if you don't, well, even, even if you're, even if you're creating nonfiction, you're just creating fiction. And that's the problem these days is that we have all of these quote unquote documentaries out there, like say Michael Moore creates them. And they're just agenda-driven, so you'll never see the other point of view. And you see a lot of these YouTube videos out there. And again, you know, some of them are made, you know, quite well. Sometimes, sometimes they're not. But they're, they don't tell the full story. They don't tell both sides of the opinion. They don't tell every single aspect of it. They don't tell the struggle. And, all, and that's how people get kind of driven down the wrong path, you know. And uh, it, unfortunately, I have to agree with Pendulet. I must say, unfortunately, because he's a good guy, you know. But yeah, he's right to a certain extent. Now, there are some storytellers who tell the truth better than others. And uh, like, for example, I love watching Forensic Files. I like watching a lot of things on History Channel called the, I think the the Food Wars or no, the foods that made no the foods that made America. Uh, it's written really well, and I've done some research on it, and it's it's written so well that uh, it's. It, I don't, there's there's really no lying going on, you know. There, I, I really can't find it, and they're telling things from a very, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, uh, agendaless point of view. Now, if you watch Michael Moore, he injects himself an agenda. You know, really, you know, you can tell which way he's swaying, right? So, you know, you just have, you just have, and you you just have to really take a look at it. Oh, another another one that I really enjoy is air crash disasters or air crash, air crash investigations. Um, that's on the, on the Smithsonian channel. It's really done very, 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 very well. And, uh, I, if you haven't seen it, I, 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 I um, recommend that you do, um, just don't watch it when you, before you get on a plane, because you'll, you'll never want to ride on another plane again. <laughs> so let's get into our topic here. I'm really apologize how to create believable fiction. Now, I have a few uh, steps here. Let's see here. Let's see. We have five. I think we have five, four or five. So number one, uh, you have to, before you put your pen on your paper, you have to know your audience, who you're talking to. And when I say know your audience, I'm not talking about their age or their demographic, but know whether or not they'll be offended by you or 
or angered by what you're going to be saying. Now, this determines your voice that you'll be talking to them. So, if, for example, if you're talking to someone who you disagree with, like say, for example, if I'm talking to a liberal, right? I'm conservative, and I know for a fact if I tell someone I'm a Trump supporter, uh, they will automatically get angry and they'll get they'll dismiss whatever comes out of my mouth. So I have to know my audience. So if I'm going to talk to someone who pulls very liberal, very, very progressive, I'm not going to tell them that I'm a Trump supporter. I may never tell them that, right? And uh, no, I, I would be very, you know, I'm not going to, you know, talk about politics. You know, so again, so you have to kind of know who you're talking to, right? And, and this is like, so if we're creating fiction, if we're creating fiction, do we use an angry voice, a very passionate angry voice, like what I do, what I do sometimes with my with my uh, my podcast when I'm very mad at something and and doing, you know, do I want do I want to have that voice to that audience? Maybe not. Maybe I do. Okay, so it really depends who you're talking to. So know your audience. All right. Now, number two, rule number two, the argument that you make should always be very simple. Now, storytelling is like math. The more complex your argument is, the harder it is to understand. So the, the harder your, you know, your argument, your argument or your, your equation is, right? For a math, a mathematical equation is like, like say calculus. If you try to explain calculus in one sitting to anyone, including myself, my brain is going to check out. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I want to hear simple arithmetic, right? Give me simple addition, addition and subtraction, which is what most Americans love to do, right? Not love to do, but, you know, we can do, right? Simple things to balance, balance our checkbooks. Well, we don't do that anymore, right? But you know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, the, that ar- your argument should be as simple as that, I- simple as that. You know, one plus one minus one plus three, you know, equals this. Very, very simple, okay? So keep it simple. Number one rule, know your audience. To determine your voice, number two, keep things simple. All right, going on to number three. The truth should be believable to your audience. Okay, so when I say the truth, now every lie, every piece of fiction that you create, um, you, you have most of that, it has to be rooted in the truth. Okay, and you can use stats, you can use quotes, you can quote, you know, people who are reputable. Um, and your most of all, your character should be 100% true. So, again, you have the, you know, if you create a novel or, or a story or a script or whatever it is, right? Make sure your characters represent true personalities. And that's almost the basics of everything. If you understand personality, and I keep harping on this all the time, and that's why most storytellers who are really good, like myself, we know personalities like the back of our hand. I mean, it's almost as though... I mean, it's gotten to a point where I can almost like tell, look, look at someone, if they give me certain clues, I can tell myself how to talk to them, how to behave around them, what are their tendencies going to be, what are their motivations behind them, what are their fears, all these different types of things. You know, are they more likely to become my friend very quick? I'm, am I more likely to like them? All these things right there. And, and I get to know, and it's kind of cheating. You have kind of, kind of a cheat cheat code to, 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 to learning people. But when you become a, a really good uh, storyteller, you can read people like the back of your hand, which, which is kind of scary. And, um, and if, if you ever if you ever watch uh, that television show called Psych, that's kind of what it is. I mean, it, it's scary. You re, you actually read people. <laughs> Great, but anyway, make sure your characters uh, 
are that real, where people say, wow, that, that character reminds me of that person, that character reminds me of this person. And, and the more often you do that, you're more likely to pull that audience that you're trying to sell your, your fiction to into your story, the more they get really immersed, right? So for example, the Man- Mandalorian, he's a typical loyalist, right? And we've all like, you know, no blind loyalist who say, whatever, whatever rules come down from the top, I am going to basically obey. And that's what the Mandalorian was, right? You know, whatever, he was a Mandalorian and he always said, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, you know, that was his mantra. And he wasn't going to even take off his helmet. He couldn't even take off his helmet, I guess, to shower, but maybe to eat he can or something like that. But all of a sudden, he takes off his helmet at the end, right, of the Mandalorian. So he's breaking free of the chains that the Mandalorian has, has, has actually imposed on top of him. And we've seen this with real people. You know, people who are just loyal to a certain cause break free of the chains that they've been sold their entire life. And that's really the character that he's playing. That's, that's really it. It's based upon a real-life personality type, okay? Now, everything else, part of, it's, it's all false, right? But again, there are some truths litter, I mean, I mean, speckled into, it, into there. So I'm going to get back into that. Now, reality is very important when you're creating fiction, all right? So not only should your characters be believable, but I would say about 99% of the things in your in your fictional story should be believable. They should be people should say, "Okay, I can believe that." So for example, we'll take Star Wars again, right? Now Star Wars, you know, we we know for a fact real simple things like there's no gravity in space. Absolutely no gravity, right? Absolutely none. So the problem that people had when they saw the last Jedi was that the director started using dropping bombs in space, using gravity you know, in space. So how can you drop bombs in space? And immediately, a lot of the audience, which they just disconnected, right? <laughs> they completely disconnected. And, and, and real simple things like, how can you rescue Princess Leia? You open the door and there's no space vacuum that sucks you out because, because your cabin was pressurized. And people know, know about that kind of stuff because we saw it all the time. It's happening, happening in airplanes, right? Where, where you know, the, the door pops off and everything flies out. <laughs> Why didn't that happen in space? We've seen it happen in space. We've seen that happen in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? When they open the door and then everyone flies out, right? I think we've even seen that in scenes of Star Wars. So why did it not happen when Princess Leia, they, they rescued Princess Leia to, to pull her from space? So those are the things. That's why the audience of The Last Jedi checked out. They said, well, this doesn't even make sense. And then on top of that, they, their truths, again, the truth can also be the lore, the Star Wars lore. They went against the Star Wars lore. They said, wait a minute. You know, Princess Leia could never fly through space like Mary Poppins. You know, we never even saw Darth Vader or Luke Skywalker do that, right? And all of a sudden, you know, Princess Leia is doing that. That's going against their truth, their, their lore. Again, which is their truth. So again, you have to, to make it believable. You have to put as many truths as there are out there in that world, the lore and also science and everything else. Okay, the only thing fictional, the only the only thing fictional, should be one or two variables that really make a difference. Okay, so you can introduce one or two fictional variables in there, and and uh, for example, we'll go to another thing. Back to the future, the only really one fictional variable in there back for Back to the Future 
was the flux capacitor. Now, everything kind of bridged off that, right? But the characters were, were real. We, it reminds us of eccentric versions of real personalities. But everything from Marty to the doc to, to his father to his mother, it's even to, to, to Biff, we are, they're all believable. The bully, you know, the, the, the dorky nerd who can't talk to the pretty girl, you know, the mother... The mother right there, who 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 is a hypocrite because she was she's saying she did this and she's never done this before. Marty, the, the kid who can never study, you know, focused and who was who had a male ego that got in the way of like like falling in love. And you had again the doc who was again another brainiac thing who couldn't really relate relate to real people. We've met a lot of people like that. So those are all real personality personality types, right? But the flux capacitor is the one thing that changes everything. Even the DeLorean is a real car. Right. And everything else we see on top of the DeLorean, it's pretty much, you know, we've, we've seen afterburners before. We can kind of say, okay, there's an afterburner on top of car. We know how that kind of re, that kind of what will it do to a car if we put it on top of there? We know it's going to, it's there to, to make it go fast, if anything. And then only at the end do we get, I think it's called Mr. Fusion, right? Where he, where uh, the doc takes trash and puts, I guess, trash into Mr. Fusion to create a to create a nuclear reaction. Now, again, in Back to the Future One, they introduced one for the most part one variable, which was the flux capacitor, but number two was was uh, I guess Mr. Fusion. But Mr. Fusion was created at the end of, of Back to the Future when we were already sold on time travel. Okay, so again, you want to keep things as simple as possible, have one or two variables in there. Now, a lot of you are saying, well, Steve, what about time travel? Well, here's the funny thing. Truth doesn't mean it has to be true to what reality is. It's a truth to what has been ingrained into our head. So a lot of people already have watched a lot of time travel movies and people say, oh, we understand time travel. We understand that. We always say that, man, if I could go back into the past before and change things, what would happen? You know, if I made, if I just nudged something in the past, what would happen? So we, our brain is already there. So it's not that far of a leap. Now, the the farther, the more variables you put into a fictional script or fictional story, the more likely you are to have your audience check out. Okay, so that's the last thing we want to do. Okay, because again, we we're trying to persuade this audience of believing our argument or believing our truth to make, you know, whatever we, we write there on paper, we want them to be disconnected disconnected from the world. We want them to be immersed into our story. We don't want them to put down our book. So one or two variables, all right? right? And, and that's what I'm saying. That again, that, move, that, that story is going to be 100% fake. It's fictional, but we're not pulling too much from the truth. We're not pulling too much from, we're not going too far off the reservation, Okay, so even if you're writing a movie about, say, like, you know, even if you're writing a story, a novel, a novel about, like, say, corruption in the government, we don't have to go very far because we see it the way it's happening. So we can kind of pull things from the headlines. We can and people can say, wow, this reminds me of that time, that time, you know, everything like that. Right. And again, say, for example, if I'm writing, if I know my audience and my audience are Trump supporters, so I can write things in there about voter fraud. And how a, politi- a political party, the, the extensions, they went to voter fraud. And we, you know what I would do? I would reference real life stories about voter fraud and put them into a fictional story. So they'll start believing it, right? And when I make an argument to say, well, they, they did voter fraud for the nuclear codes and everything like this. 
all of a sudden it becomes very, very believable. And people say, wow, you have to really read this fictional story, you know, everything in there because it's all true. But this one part where, you know, this entire entire argument to make this thing that uh, an argument that the president was like, you know, you know elected to, to pass over the nuclear codes to another a foreign entity that was against us. They'll say, wow, that's kind of believable when it's totally just made up in my mind. But I sold them. I sold them. Right. Okay. Last things here. So when, when I say pull from reality, reality, that can mean anything, anything out there. It doesn't have to be real. So I'm talking about politics, science, other, especially characters, right? The characters, the personality types, uh, even political positions, right? History, pull from history. Um, personally, I like to use the Bible because despite their the opinions out there, whether or not it's true or not, no one can deny its, its existence. So we can say, we can write another fiction around the Bible if we want. Now, just to, for the record, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible is to be true. Now, I like to use that because in my other, in my, another another story where I'm talking about, I, uh, when I, oh, another story that I'm creating, it, it talks about teleportation. And one of my characters, the scientist, says, well, teleportation isn't that far-fetched because, by the way, teleportation was in the Bible. Jesus teleported from point A to point B. There was, there was teleportation in, in the Old Testament. So automatically, I pull in my biblical audience and say, wow, that's right. Jesus was a teleporter. Whoa, this is pretty cool. I kind of like that aspect. Now, it's only my opinion, though, right? It's only my opinion. So, so but that's how you pull in people. Okay, now, lastly, when you create your argument, which is your narrative, your fiction, your storytelling, um, your, or your story, it's not your story, you're telling, it's just, it's just your story, view your, view your fictional story as a very simple additional mathematical equation, okay? Not a very complex arithmetic type of, you know, calculus type of thing. Because again, the harder it is to understand, you know, harder the harder it is to communicate, the harder it is to convince someone, all right? So remember that your story is the entire equation, okay? So the numbers represent every argument you make to your audience, all right? And this is, an, every single argu- argument you make is an addition, so you're going to make an argument, argument over argument. And eventually you're going to get to this point where you, you will be convinced. You, you, you have to convince yourself that I've told enough to convince my audience that this is true, at least when they're reading my story. All right? And that's, it, that's all it is. That's really all it is. You create enough arguments, pulling from 99% truths, right? Whether it's a truth to a lore or truth in reality, and then you put in your little variable, your little tiny variable. We'll just call it X or Y, or sometimes you may have an X and a Y, right? Not one. You can have one variable, one or two. Two, I think if you go past two, you're pushing it, all right? One or two. Keep it very simple, okay? And then <laughs> at the end, the sum of all totals arguments, you have your story. And your audience will be sold, and if you do this correctly, this is how you get a following. You know, this is how you create things like the DC universe, the MCU, 
you know, all of these other like universes out there, fictional universes that go on and on and on and on. And then people create fan fiction to like be, a, to, to, to keep it alive because you've created this world that just functions by itself, which is so incredible. Like, so, so for example, you know, on the web, on the web, there's a thing called Wikipedia, like Wookie, W O O K I, like after Chewbacca, Wikipedia. And it has all this Star Wars lore on top of there. And I'm rewriting The Last Jedi, just to let you know, um, for fan fiction, as, uh, as a favor to all the fans out there who thought they got gypped. And I'll be releasing it later this year. Uh, it'll be really fun to read. It's, it's my version of what I would have wrote. And uh, it's, 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 it'll be very, it's free. It'll be free, by the way, because I can't profit off someone else's characters. Uh, <clears throat> but again, I took the lore from, that was created. And here's the cra- crazy thing about this the Star Wars dilemma right now. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, she ignores all this lore that's already out there. If you look at Wikipedia, X-Wing fighters, I, I'll just use an example of X-Wing fighters. There are examples, this is how in-depth it goes, into what type of engines there are in different X-Wing fighters and who manufactured it and why they manufactured it that way. And the, the design of the X-Wing fighters. It's crazy. And even the, even the lasers, you know, or even, even the missiles, I mean, or, or, the, or the proton blast that they call it, that they actually shoot out of there. The different pr- proton, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, shooters. I forgot what the name of it is. There's different types, different brands, and the reason why they're created. It's all there on the Wikipedia. So when I was writing my uh, rewrite to The Last Jedi, it was all there. All this cre- like in- amazing amazing encyclopedia of this fictional world. And these are all truths to Star Wars fans. And it was so easy to read, not really easy, but it was so much easier to, to write, I guess, uh, The Last Jedi using this lore than to create something on your own because everything's already created. But here comes Kathleen Kennedy, who's the president of LucasArts, and she just throws that all out the window. The question is Why? So when you tell everyone, all the fans, well, just ignore all that fiction, that world that you based your life on for the last 30 years of your life and give all the fans a middle finger, of course they're going to leave. And that's what she did. And that's how you don't create believable fiction. That's how you create things like The Last Jedi where people say, well, that, that sucks. You know, that gives a middle finger to all of us because that was the truth. Do you know that lightsabers, the color of the lightsabers, they all have different meanings to them. They all have different meanings of, of when uh, the lightsabers are created with this kyber crystal inside there, right? And when a Jedi turns on his, his lightsaber for the first time, it turns a different color. And that color sticks with them based upon their Jedi force. And they, they will become, and, and that's what they will actually become. And the, the kyber crystal is predicting what type of Jedi they will become. It's kind of like Harry Potter and his, and, and, and his uh, what did they call those, and, and his wand. It's pretty much the same thing. But Kathleen Kennedy took that and threw it out there. And by the way, George Lucas didn't have that in there. These were created by authors who extended the universe after the first three movies ended. So all of this lore is out there and she threw it all away. And all of this lore, again, repeating myself, was a truth to all the fans out there. So again, when I say truth, 
I'm saying respect the lore and also have truth to science, truth to reality. And so, and again, if you do that, that you're going to create believable fiction. So again, to go over everything, all right? Step one, know your audience, okay? Two, your argument should be very simple. Number three, your truths should be believable to your audience, okay? That's what I just, just talked about with Kathleen Kennedy and everything. You know, keep everything as much as rea- real as possible. Keep it real. Your character's got to be believable. The science, at the most part, should be believable. You know, the, again, only having one or two variables at the most, right? And pull from reality as much as you can, from politics to science, characters. Star Wars put politics. It's very, very political. Very, very, very political. Even if you're love, you have a love story in there, Pull from real-life love stories, like that type of love story in there. There's a lot of love stories in there. You don't have to make something up out there because <laughs> real-life drama, that's all you have to do. Plagiarize reality, reality, right? Plagiarize it. You know, you, you, you know of a really unique love story, tell it. Tell it. Just tell it. <laughs> and then view your fictional story as a simple additional mathematical equation. And trust me, if you do all of these things, again, you're going you're gonna to pretty much create believable fiction. By the way, one story before I go. Now, we're all done with that story. I want to tell you about a funny love story. You know, I'd, I'd have a wedding couple. Yeah, I, do, I always ask my couples how they met. So one of these couples who I met, uh, who we married off, he, uh, he actually called AT&T to, to complain about his router because his router wasn't working properly and when he was just so pissed off he was so pissed off so he called this person on customer service just completely ranted to her and uh, she calmed him down he was so mad customer service was service was so great and uh well and he was just so enamored by her he asked her out he asked her out and guess what they're married now with kids (laughs) How do you like that? Who who falls in love with their customer service agent? That is too cool. That is way too cool. I, I think that's one of the more unique ones that I've heard. So, is that believable? Well, I can tell it's based upon a true story. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, everyone. That's it for my podcast for now. I hope it was good for you as it was for me. And uh, I'll be talking to you hopefully soon. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hey, I hope you like my podcast. If you do, don't forget you can subscribe to me on any of the podcast platforms out there. Just look for Barbecue 2 Movies. Thank you.